Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we are continuing in our Means of Maturity sermon series where we're talking about the ways and the means God gives us as Christians to grow in Christ's likeness and to grow uh, in our understanding and knowledge of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to turn our focus to the Lord's Supper and how does God use the Lord's Supper to grow us as believers. Last week, Sam preached on baptism, and he mentioned to you that in baptism, we have our first public identification with Jesus after we become Christians, that after we're saved, we've trusted in Jesus, we walk through the baptismal waters to proclaim to everyone else that we are in Christ, that he is ours and we are his. And it's interesting that that is our first step of identification with Jesus, but then God gives us an ongoing means by which we identify with Jesus, and that is the Lord's Supper. That after we're baptized and we first proclaim him, we continue to proclaim him as we take the Lord's Supper together. And I think it's very suiting to the fact that God knows us so well, he knows the best ways for us to grow. I'll tell you this, we often don't consider just how important food is to our lives. That we base a lot of what we do around food. Food is very, very important. And as Baptists, we know that better than anyone. Amen. There we go. We believe food. We believe food is important. We believe it plays a vital role. Think about the role of food in your life, not just for daily sustenance and life, but think about all the important parts of your entire year that revolve around food. What do we do? We got a whole holiday just about eating. And it's coming up, and I know you can't wait for it. You've been thinking about it for months. Thanksgiving, we celebrate Thanksgiving, and the whole day is just eat until you can't eat anymore. Christmas, you get together on Christmas, what are you going to do? You go eat. Guess what we do for birthdays? Well, you lived another year. Guess what we should do? Eat. And then we do anniversaries. Hey, you made another year without killing your spouse. Guess what? Let's eat. If something happens in your career or in your job or in school, something important, something we need to celebrate, guess what we do? We eat. In fact, food now becomes a part of how we do our jobs because now we have lunch meetings where we gather and we eat. And these times are all wonderful. I love every single one of them. They're important. And just so you know, there's a lot of wonderful memories that can be tied into the food we eat and the celebrations that we have. I can imagine that there are certain foods that either bring good thoughts to your mind or bad thoughts to your mind. I remember one year when I was in, I think it was in high school, we had salmon patties one night. Yes, sir. I don't know what's in them. I don't think it's salmon. But it's a patty. But we had that. And I'm not going to lie to you. It tasted okay. It was good. But then I had the stomach flu that night. Guess what? I have never eaten another day in my life, nor will I ever. I don't want another single salmon patty. I don't even want you showing me a salmon patty. Because as soon as I see it, guess what comes back to my brain? Oh, I remember that night. That night was not good. Well, we have 
you can probably have the same thing too. You probably got memories of certain foods or certain occasions around food that you're just like, every time you see that food or you think about it, you're just like, oh, no, thank you. Food is important to our memories. I bet you can also think of really good times around food. I bet you can think of times when you, certain foods come up and you, you start remembering those celebrations that you have, right? I remember the cookie cake that I used to get for my birthday, right? It was a cookie, but we called it cake because we put icing on it, but it was just a big old cookie. And it's the greatest thing ever invented by human beings. And now every time I see a cookie, a big old cookie cake, guess what I think of? I think of my birthdays and how great they were. See, it's important the role that food plays because food can really tie memories into our brain. Things that we think about as soon as we see or hear about certain types of food. But it's not just about the memories. There's also a relational aspect to food. We share life around food, don't we? We get to know each other around food. In fact, if you ever really want to get to know somebody, go eat with them. You'll find out the good, the bad, the ugly. You'll find out all. People will say stuff when they're eating. That's just, you get to know people around food. You get to know people. Listen, if you don't know the people sitting around you very well, guess what you should do? As soon as we're done here, go eat lunch with them. And you'll pay for them, by the way. Pay for theirs. Don't expect them to pay for yours. Don't go, hey, take me out to lunch. But if you really want to know somebody from here, just ask them to go to lunch with you after church is over. You'll learn things about them you didn't even know, and you might be sitting next to them for 30 years. It's important because we share life. We grow in the knowledge of others. We build relationships around food. We really get to see who people are. Well, it's interesting. That's the way it is just when we eat. Now think about what food meant in the life of the Israelites and God's people. In fact, Israel had feasts every year that they would take part in. And each feast was meant to point them and remind them of something that God had done and who he was. In fact, there are three major feasts that the Jews celebrated. The first was called the Passover, and does anybody know what the Passover feast was meant to remind them of? Exodus, right? The plague of the death of the firstborn and how God would spare those who sacrificed a lamb and put the blood on their doorposts. They did that, and they celebrated Passover to remind them of how God had delivered them from death. They also had a feast called the Feast of Weeks or Harvest. Guess what that feast was meant to remind them of? Well, that God was the provider. The only reason they had a harvest is because God made it rain, he made it grow, and they gave him thanks. So every year, they would have a feast called the Feast of the Harvest or of Weeks, and they would recognize that God is the provider of all their crops, and they owed him everything. The third one that they celebrated was called the Feast of Booths or Tents. Does anybody remember what the Feast of Tents was about? What did it remind them of? Well, it reminded them of their deliverance from Egypt and the wilderness wandering because they had to live in tents. And God had to take care of them, and he had to provide what for them? He had to provide food for them while they wandered. So they would have a feast every year to remind them. Remember when God, man, God's so good. You remember when he took care of our ancestors when they wandered in the wilderness and he provided for them? He delivered them from Egypt. You remember that? Let's celebrate. Well, guess what? It was around food. And each of these feasts was meant to remind the people that God was God. And that he had done great things for them. And he continued to do that. And they did it as the people of God. They didn't do it as individuals. They did it as the Israelites, as the family of God. And those, day, those days of feasts were meant to separate them and to make them distinct from the surrounding nations. And what made them distinct was that they belonged to God. So when they ate, they remembered who God was and how they were his people. Well, guess what? 
That's what we do today. We continue to have that, but in a slightly different way. Because it's in the midst of one of these feasts, the feast of the Passover, that Jesus institutes what's called the Lord's Supper that we continue to observe even now. And the Last Supper, as we call it, was Jesus' last meal with his disciples before he goes to die on the cross. And in that last meal, Jesus reveals the true significance of the Passover and how that feast was meant to point to him. It's such an important event in the life of the people of God that all four Gospels refer to it. And I want to look at that feast today. But I want to look at it from Paul's summary of that feast from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we find uh, the first, um, what we may call... Um, the first documented observance, the earliest account of Lord's Supper service in a church. There were others before this, but this is the first one we see referred to in the early church. But before we do that, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that's where we're going to be. But in order to get the backdrop, we've got to look at Exodus chapter 12. So if you would, keep a mark on 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to turn to Exodus 12. Actually, here's what we should do. We should probably read... 1 Corinthians 11 before we move on, because once we get going, then we're going to really get going. So I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand with me this morning out of honor for God's word as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to read to you starting in verse 17 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to help us this morning to understand these truths, to see clearly from the Lord's Supper what it's meant to teach us and remind us of. And Lord, that you would show us that everything is about Jesus. So, Father, would you receive praise and honor in this place as we study? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So, in order to talk about the Lord's Supper, you have to go to the Passover of Exodus chapter 12. 
Because that was meant to be observed and remembered throughout the generations. God told the people to remember the Passover. And the Passover was meant to remind the people of, of God of their bondage. And God's provision of sacrifice, of a lamb. It was meant to remind them of their need for deliverance and their liberation from slavery and bondage. The Passover was also meant to remind them of their identification as the community of God. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 16, they would be called the Holy Assembly. See, we're told in Exodus chapter 12, let me summarize it for you quickly. In Exodus chapter 12, we're told the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt under the heavy hand of Pharaoh. And in Exodus, we're told that the people of God cried out to God, begging him for help. We're told in Exodus that God sent the plagues to show his sovereign power. That he would show Pharaoh and the people of God that he was the only king. And he gave the plagues to show that he was powerful over all creation, heaven, earth, and the seas. We also see in Exodus chapter 12 a distinct difference between how God relates to the Egyptians and to the Israelites. Because to the Israelites he provides provision. But the Egyptians find themselves under the condemnation of their sin. And in the Passover... God provides a way as only he can. Turn with me real quick. Exodus chapter 12, if you're not there already. Let me point out a couple of things to you that will help us to understand the Lord's Supper. Exodus chapter 12. What we find in verses 3 through 6 of Exodus 12 is that God would provide a way to life through sacrifice. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, here's what they were to tell. Tell all the congregation of Israel, verse 3, that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb, and your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So we're told in the Passover that God was going to provide a sacrifice for the people, for each family, that he would provide the way. Not only that, but if you look at verse 7, we're told that this is going to be sacrificial. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So they're supposed to kill the lamb at twilight and then take the blood and put it on their doorposts and lintels. And this was God providing rescue to the people from death through the blood of some, from another. This is the picture of a substitutionary sacrifice. We're told in verses 12 through 14 that those who trust in God's provision of sacrifice would be passed over or spared from death. It's another word called delivered, that they would be rescued. Not only that, but through the provided sacrifice, God brought the people out from under the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. This was all God's plan and would ultimately, God promised to lead the people to the promised land. And this Passover was not a one-time event to be moved on from. It was to be remembered by the people of God throughout all the generations. Now remember, the Passover was to celebrate God's redemptive act of bringing the people out of slavery in Egypt. So guess what the Lord's Supper does? The Lord's Supper, just like the Passover for the Old Testament Christians and, and believers, 
The Lord's Supper celebrates God's redemptive act of bringing people out of slavery to sin through Jesus. As the Passover remembered God's deliverance from death, so too the Lord's Supper remembers God's provision of redemption from death and sin. So they're connected. And what we'll find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is that this is connected to the death of Jesus on the cross. That's the backdrop. When you see the Lord's Supper instituted by Jesus with his disciples, he is making reference back to the Passover celebration. In fact, it takes place while they're eating the Passover meal together. Jesus wants his followers to understand that it wasn't about the Passover, it was about him. And that's the backdrop that we find Paul's summary of Jesus' last meal in 1 Corinthians 11. There's a few things I want to point out to you this morning. First of all, Around the Lord's Supper, we find the relationship of believers and the remembrance of the Lord's sacrifice. That there is both relationship and remembrance tied into the Lord's Supper. Now, the first way we see it is through the negative. And that is, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22, that the Corinthian church was not celebrating the Lord's Supper the way they should have been. What we find out is that Christians, yes, even Christians, can struggle sometimes to see Jesus in the rituals that they do. And we find in this earliest account that the church of Corinth was marked by broken relationships at the table. There are broken relationships at the table. Look at verse 17. But in the following instructions, Paul says, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Could you imagine having God tell you that when you gathered together to do religious stuff, it was for the worse, not the better? That it's possible to come together as a church and not honor Jesus? That gathering in the same place and the same location does not make you a family? It doesn't make you unified? Only God can do that? Only Jesus can? And we find that the worship of the Corinthians is actually damaging others. Worship in the church is actually hurting. And it's, div it's divisive. Look at verse 18 and 19. Paul says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe that in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. Oh, my goodness. Paul says, when you gather together as a church, you come together, but you ain't together. You're divided. And he said the factions and the divisions in the church actually show who the real Christians are. How? Well, because real Christians will fight for what? Unity, not division. So if people are dividing the church, guess what that says? It, it, it shows there's a heart problem. Right. Because those who divide are not modeling what Jesus has said. And he says that in the midst of factions, you're going to see who the real Christians are because they're going to be the ones clinging and being seen in unity, seeking unity with others. Not only that, but we're told the Corinthians' worship actually looks down on the poor people. If you look at verses 20 through 22, he says, When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Don't even call it that. Don't even call it the Lord's Supper. That's not what you're doing. He says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. Guess what their Lord's Supper looked like? It looked like a selfish free-for-all of who could get more than the other. It was like me as a kid with the cinnamon rolls. 
I don't care if they get anything to eat. I want more. This is how the Lord's Supper is being treated in the early church in Corinth. They're divided, and in fact, he says, don't even call it the Lord's Supper because what you're doing has nothing to do with Jesus anymore. Woo! Could you imagine? Paul says, what you're doing has nothing to do with the Lord. It has everything to do with selfishness. It was evident in the fact that they didn't wait on anybody. <laughs> they would actually arrive early and try to eat and get enough for themselves before others came. They would try to keep it for themselves and hoard it. Paul uses words like each one and own to talk about how individual the Lord's Supper had become. It was, in their selfishness, the poor would go away hungry and the rich would walk away, what's the word? Gluttoned. There is no picture of love of Jesus in what they were doing. It was selfishness. It was what you'd find at a Walmart on Black Friday, people punching each other and stepping on one another to get the biggest TV. Remember, and notice how Paul says it. I love, I love how verse 22 starts. What? How could, how could a meal that is meant to point to the sacrifice and generosity of Jesus become this selfish, gluttonous feast where the poor people are stepped on and mistreated and oppressed so that the rich could get more and more and more. Their worship was not praiseworthy, Paul says. It, it's to be condemned. So we see that there's meant to be relationship at the Lord's table. But what we find here at first is even in the early church, it's already broken. There's already selfishness there. So what are we to do about that? Well, you're going to see at the latter part, but I want you to notice at first that relationship is part of the Lord's Supper. It's not meant to be an individual thing. It was meant to be a family thing. And I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians, it was meant to be a church thing. That they would gather together in relationship around the table of God. And here we find it broken. But number two... Not only do we see broken relationships around the table here in 1 Corinthians 11, but Paul calls them to a right remembrance at the table. That there would be a right remembrance at the table. There'd be a proper focus. Notice what he says in verse 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in the midst of broken relationships around the table, Paul tells them about the right remembrance that should be at the table. In observing the Lord's Supper, what we're told is we are imitating what Jesus did with his disciples. In the Gospels, in the text that describe the Lord's Supper, you find Jesus celebrating the Passover meal with the disciples, which was marking a remembrance of God's deliverance from Egypt and points them back to those truths. Paul tells us in verse 23, the night Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread. So the institution of the Lord's Supper came in really painful times. It came in a time when Jesus was going to offer up his own life for his disciples. 
Jesus said on that night when he would demonstrate his love, his compassion, that Jesus would give up his body. We're told that he makes a connection between the bread and his body. What's that tell us? The bread was meant to be a picture of what? Jesus' own sacrifice for them. That just as the bread was broken, Jesus would break his own body and give it up for them. Now, need I remind you that bread already had a picture in their head for the Jewish people. What did bread have a picture of? Well, it takes them all the way back to Exodus, the wilderness wandering, and guess what they asked for from God? They asked for manna from heaven, bread to eat so they wouldn't die. When Jesus shows up and he's doing his public ministry, guess what he tells the people? I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the one who satisfies your hunger. See, the bread of the Passover was meant to point to Jesus. It was meant to point that he's the one who satisfies. That it's his death that will satisfy the spiritual hunger of his people. This is my body, he says, which is for you. So not only do we see that the, the whole point was to show uh, Jesus is the one who satisfies us, but it would happen through substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus says, this is my body which is for you. Not for himself. Jesus didn't need forgiveness of anything. But he gives his body. He says, break the bread. This is my body that I break for you because you need it. Because you need forgiveness. You need to be saved. And so we see the purpose in Christ's suffering. And around the Lord's Supper, guess what we see? The bread is a picture that reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross to satisfy our spiritual hunger and that he gave up his own life. It's broken because he broke himself. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It means keep on doing it. Listen, we should be doing Lord's Supper a lot. I'm sorry that we haven't done it more, but I believe as a church we should be doing it all the time. You know why? Because we need to be constantly reminded. We need to remember what God has done for us in Christ, and we need to remember the relationship that brings. So when we celebrate Lord's Supper, we are celebrating that which God has given us as an ordained means to be gracious to us, to draw us back to God and to see our desperate need for Him. The intended result of observing the Lord's Supper is to have our faith strengthened, to fortify us, to continue to walk as Christians. The reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper is to remind ourselves that we're in Jesus and He's given Himself for us. What a gift! The Lord's Supper is a sermon you eat. It is the body of Christ broken for us, but it's not just that, is it? Verse 25, he says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So it's not just the bread, the satisfaction of our spiritual hunger, but it's also the cup. And he says the cup is the new covenant in his blood. What's the cup a picture of? What is it reminding us of? Well, it's reminding us that Jesus' sacrifice was to death. Blood was death, but also in blood was life. Jesus would spill out all his blood so that we might live. He would die and empty himself so that we might be made alive again. 
He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. We've been studying on Wednesdays the John chapter 1. We talked about the Lamb of God. Is there any better picture of that than right here? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, how would he do it? By pouring out his blood. And what Jesus says is the, the cup, his blood, is the new covenant that he brings. He says, you remember that old covenant? The one I bring is better. He said the reason it's better is because it's in his blood. He's the one who brings life. And that new covenant is secured in Christ's work, even though we are continually covenant-breaking. How great is it that our relationship with Christ is secured not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has already done? This new covenant is greater. You know why? Because Jesus' death is greater than any animal. His sacrifice was greater than any animal sacrifice. And while the Corinthians were despising the poor at their Lord's Supper, Jesus was despised and rejected. He was treated as poor so that we might be rescued. Jesus says, as often as you eat, do this in remembrance of me. Notice what he says, what we do when we eat. When we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, he says, you proclaim the Lord's death. So guess what? When we observe the Lord's Supper, we are announcing to others that the Lord has died so that our sin might be covered. It is a statement of faith every time we do it. It reminds us of what Jesus has done and it reminds us of the relationship we're in with Christ and with each other and the fact that we are rescued and redeemed by his death. That's why some refer to the Lord's Supper as the word tasted. Imagine, the Lord's Supper revives all five senses. You get to see it, you get to smell it, you get to touch it, you get to taste it. Right? We get to hear the word preached as we do it. Around the Lord's Supper, every sense is engaged. And because of that, it's important to us as Christians. Because we need to be reminded all the time who we are in Christ and who we are to each other. So it's a solemn observance. It's not meant to be treated lightly because it involves identification with the body of Christ. There's a relationship there. Notice Paul's writing to the church who's doing it. The Lord's Supper is something we do as a church. We don't do it as individuals. You know why? Because that's not the picture of what the Lord's Supper is giving. If we take the Lord's Supper as individuals, we're missing the point. The whole point is a reminder of what God has done for us and the relationship we are now in as a family of believers. This is the family coming around the table to eat and talk about how Jesus has made us one. What a big deal. So we shouldn't take it lightly and we shouldn't do it selfishly. Let us guard our hearts from losing awe of God while we do it. So, you have broken relationships at the table, we see in 1 Corinthians 11. You got right remembrance at the table. We see the focus is on Jesus, not on our own selfish desires. We see Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, the greater deliverer, the new exodus that he brings through his blood, that he brings us into a godly community. Lastly, number three, we see proper repentance at the table. See, if there's broken relationships and the focus isn't on Jesus, then guess what it needs to be when we come back? There needs to be right repentance, proper repentance at the table. Notice what he says in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That there should be an examination of our hearts. Why? Well, to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? And am I doing this with Jesus as the focus? Am I eating this bread? Am I drinking this juice because I love Christ? Because he's reminding me of who I am in him and what he's done for me? And also that I'm remembering that I'm in a relationship with other Christians who I'm unified with in Jesus. Even though we don't agree on everything, we can agree on the fact that Jesus is our king. And we gather around the table together to remember that it's him who brought us in. We're part of God's people because of what he's done for us. So, we want to approach rightly the Lord's Supper, and that takes place in repentance. That if we've been selfish, we repent of it. If we've hated our brother and sister in Christ, we repent of it and we make it right. If there's any kind of schism or fracture within the church, we make it right. We live lives as Christians repenting and forgiving one another. <laughs> Paul here calls it the discipline of the Lord. That God might actually discipline us to bring us to repentance. So what do we expect? What's the right relationship? What's the proper repentance at the table? Well, it's that instead of running to get what we want and fattening ourselves up while everybody else starves, instead, when we come to the Lord's Supper, it's not about us. It's about what's best for our brothers and sisters. We wait for one another. See, proper worship edifies other believers. Paul goes so far to say, if you're that hungry, just eat at home before you come then you won't have the temptation to just take it all for yourself. Well, what's he saying? Consider others greater than yourself. And the Lord's Supper reminds us that our spiritual hunger is ultimately satisfied in Jesus alone. There's not enough bread we can eat on this earth that will satisfy our souls. Only Jesus can. So it's not about eating it all. It's not about drinking it all. It's about realizing that Christ is the reason we do it, to turn our eyes back to him. And so what we find in the Lord's Supper is that God is once again pointing us to the relationship we have in Christ and he's reminding us of his work that he's done through his son to redeem us. So we remember that past reality, but in the Lord's Supper we also have a present reality, which is that when we eat the Lord's Supper together, we enjoy the spiritual presence of Christ. He's here with us. As we eat together, guess who's the king at the throne? It's Jesus. And so we're celebrating the fact that he eats with us. Remember what got Jesus in trouble? When he showed up on the earth, guess what got him in trouble? He started eating with people. And they didn't like, the religious leaders didn't like who Jesus was eating with. Well, guess what? Now, because we're in Christ, we eat with him. We enjoy his presence, and that stirs us up to love and adoration of God. Helps us to continue to live for him. But it, it's not just a past reality. And it's not just the enjoying Christ's presence spiritually through the Lord's Supper. But it's also looking to the future. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until when? Until he comes. So wait a second, we partake of the Lord's Supper. How long are we supposed to partake of the Lord's Supper? Till he comes. Why would it stop when he comes? Why can't we just keep on doing it after he shows up? Because then 
We will not have just the spiritual presence of Christ. We will be with him. We'll eat with him in person. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be able to eat, and that will be in the consummated kingdom of Jesus. So this is just something we do while we wait for him to come back. And guess what? That, that eating, when Jesus returns, that's going to be better than anything you've ever had before in your life. It's going to be something to be able to feast with Christ forever. No more sin. No more belly aches. Right? No more salmon patties that make you sick. It's going to be good. We're going to get to eat with him. But it's not about the food. It's not about the food. What's it about? It's about the fact that Jesus has died to make us his own. That we're his. And when we eat with him around his table... In the consummated kingdom, we will know we're sitting there because he brought us in. We celebrate that now. We're in Christ. We're in God's family because of what Jesus has done. But it also reminds us that we need each other. Heaven is not going to be about going to your individual mansion and locking the door and get behind your gated community. Heaven is going to be about dwelling with all believers. All believers. Singing together eating together, praising together, and the focus of all of our efforts will be Christ. We will do all those things because we love him more than any food we could ever eat. But can you imagine what that celebration is going to be like? I love the birthday parties. I love Christmas gatherings. I love Thanksgiving. I love deep-fried turkey. But nothing is better than eating with Christ forever, knowing he's the one who saved me, brought me into the family, and how I now have brothers and sisters in Christ just like you, that you're part of my family now because of what Jesus has done. So when we gather around the table for Lord's Supper, guess what we're doing? We're remembering Jesus. We're celebrating what he's done, how he gave everything for us, and how now we're a spiritual family, and God beckons us to eat, to remember and to remind each other of the beauty of Christ. That's how we grow, is when we take the Lord's Supper, we continue to put our eyes back on Jesus one more time. This morning, we're going to do that. This morning, we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper together. But what do we do? We got to make sure we do it with the right focus. We got to make sure we're doing it not because it's the next thing on the agenda, but we're doing it because we love Christ. We want to be reminded of what he's done for us and the relationship he's brought us into. This morning, before we take Lord's Supper, we need to repent. We need to go before our God, ask him to help us to do this in a way that would honor him. That instead of condemnation because we're doing it because we don't think of Jesus, instead, God would be pleased by what we do here. We need to prepare our hearts to do that very thing, and I'm going to ask you to do that. This morning, you cannot glorify God apart from Jesus Christ. You cannot have relationship in life with God apart from what Christ has done for you on the cross. Realize that every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us has tried to be our own king. Every single one of us has tried to save ourselves, but we can't. All we're left in is the wrath of God for our sin and ultimate punishment and justice. But because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can be forgiven. Because he shed his own blood, we might be passed over and delivered. That because of what he did for us, we can be declared innocent by God and treated as one of his children.
This morning, you cannot honor God by taking Lord's Supper, by being here at church, by giving money. You can't honor him if you're not in Christ. You need to trust in him alone. I'm happy to talk with you about that. I'm happy to pray with you about that. But this morning, you need Jesus more than anything else. And Christians in the room, before we take the Lord's Supper, let's ask ourselves, is there any sin in our life that is separating us? Is there any sin that we haven't confessed that we need to put before the Lord that we've been battling? Put it before him today. Confess it. Lay it before him and find the forgiveness that's in Jesus alone. Christians, is there any fractured relationships with you and another Christian? Is there anyone in this room that you're not right with that you need to get right with? There needs to be repentance and forgiveness. Don't put it off. Deal with it now as best you can. Is there anything that you need to confess before God? before we go before the table and remind ourselves of what Jesus has done and who we are. Let's deal with that this morning. I'm going to pray with us, and I'm going to ask you this morning to pray with me that we might take the Lord's Supper in a way that would honor him. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I love you, and I thank you this morning that we're able to come together as a church, and we're able to celebrate not only who you are, but what you've done for us. And Father, I pray that as your word has been preached, Father, I pray that you might convict our hearts, show us where we desperately need you, show us any areas of our lives that don't look like you and don't give you the praise you alone deserve. Father, I pray this morning that we would approach the Lord's Supper with a right heart. Lord, help us to confess sin. Lord, help us to make relationships right with the believers around us. Father, make us a family. Before we gather around your table, God, may we be unified in Jesus because that's what he came for. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, they're trying to be a good enough person, they're hoping that you'll forgive them just because they do enough good. Lord, would you show them they can't possibly do enough to pay for their sin and they don't have to, that Jesus has paid it all. Father, would you draw them to yourself, help them to, to find forgiveness in Christ alone. Lord, I ask you to have your way in this time. We as your people lay our hearts bare before you. We ask you to help us to honor and glorify you. Lord, would you do this so that you might receive praise and that our celebration of the Lord's Supper would give you honor. We do all this because we love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.